It is my privilege to stand before you today and to present to you a message. Thank you, Kylie, for your lovely message and song. And thank you, Bev, for that message about the cow. I remember as a young guy, 10 or 12, having to go and get the house cow in the morning before school and milk the cow. And so it brought back a few memories, uh, some good, some not so good. The cows didn't always appreciate being milked. Those of you who've worked on a dairy would know. Before we begin this morning, let us just ask the Spirit of God to direct us again. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us. We are thankful that you bless us so abundantly. Lord, in this country, we are truly blessed. And Lord, today as we open your word, as we review this portion of scripture about a lost coin, I just pray that uh, you will guide and direct that what, what we learn, we may apply in our lives, that we may truly, we may truly seek the lost, seek the lost, that we may fulfill the mission, fulfill the mission to make disciples, to make disciples of all in my prayer, in my prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we begin our journey in the city of Nuremberg. Nuremberg is an old German city. It was established around 1050 AD. And apparently it's a beautiful city. I've not visited the city. Today it has a population of around about half a million people and is situated fairly centrally in Germany, in northern Bavaria. Now today we will learn a little bit about Nuremberg's history. It's interesting in my research on this city that way back in 1349, the people of Nuremberg decided they didn't want Jews in their city and they were pretty drastic in their removal. Some of these Jews were burnt at the stake, the rest were expelled and the Jewish quarter where they lived was flattened and a marketplace established in its place. So this city has a little bit of a history of a hatred of Jews. It has an old castle which didn't get destroyed during the war. But today, if you are a motor enthusiast, you will know that Nuremberg is famous for a racetrack. Many automobile companies use it to test their latest cars. And currently, Porsche hold the record, for those who are interested, for this 20.8 kilometre circuit, they do it in just under 5 minutes and 20 seconds, which averages out at about 234 kilometres an hour, a speed I'm sure most of us have never travelled at in a car. But Nuremberg has a dark history as well. It was the city chosen by the Nazi party to establish the Nazi regime. Many rallies were held there in the 1920s and into the 1930s. But in 1945, the Allies bombed Nuremberg severely. In fact, on the 2nd of January 1945, 90% of this city was destroyed by Allied bombing. 
in one night. Quite a horrific when you think about it. But today we are going to concentrate on something that happened after the war, known as the Nuremberg Trials. These trials lasted between November 20, 1945 to October 1, 1946. And on trial were the men that Hitler used, or accompanied Hitler rather, in his war machine. This was termed the trial of the century. And these men were revered, feared if you like, hated by the world for what they had caused during World War II. Of course, not everyone made it to the Nuremberg Trials. Heinrich Himmler, Joseph Goebbels, and of course Adolf Hitler himself. All these men took their lives prior to justice being served on them. But here are the faces of some of those men who were on trial in Nuremberg. These men, I'm not going to highlight their crimes. They were many. These men, I guess, had a lot to answer for and the Allies were going to see to it that they went to trial and, if you like, were found accountable for their actions. One would think that these men didn't have a lot of hope. But enter one gentleman, US Army Chaplain Henry Gorecki. I assume that's how you pronounce his name. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. This man was to be a chaplain, a minister, if you like, to these men. The reason he was chosen, because he could speak German. But I believe that God also chose him to minister to these men who had little or no hope. And I'll just read you a quote that Henry Gorecki made. He said, But slowly the men in the prison at Nuremberg became to me not war criminals, but simply lost souls whom I was being asked to help. I determined as never before to hate the sin, but love the sinner. This man, Wilhelm Keitel, Gorecki had an interesting encounter with him on his first visit. This man, I'll just read you a little bit of what he said. He finds Kettle reading his Bible. And he says, I know this book talks of a God that can love even a sinner like me. Gorecki stood there for a while and then Kettle kneeled. Gorecki's comment was, I never heard a prayer like that one. He spoke it patiently of his many sins and pleaded for mercy by reason of God's, sorry, of Christ's sacrifice for him. So I guess the question can be asked, do these men or deserve any justice? Do they deserve the chance to have salvation? Can we hate the sin and love the sinner? Let's just 
read a passage here from Luke 6, 27 to 29. But I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. So here Jesus gives us counsel that we can truly hate the sin but love the sinner. But the passage I want to read to you this morning, I'm not sure what's happened. We'll go again. There we go. Sorry, we'll go back is found in Luke 15, 8 to 10. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Luke 15, 8 to 10. And it will be the basis for my message this morning. We know it so well. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This parable of the lost coin shows that even those who are unaware that they are lost, can be saved. So let us look at the characters in this passage. We have a woman. A woman who has lost her coin. We have a coin, something that is of value because it is sought for. It's interesting that I'm amazed what people will pay these days for things they perceive to be of value. I read recently of a story of a man who found some old pictures at one of these car boot sales they have in America from time to time. And he looked at them and thought, could it be? Could it really be? Anyway, he said to the man, how much? And I think he paid him four or five dollars for this picture. He took it away and had it authenticated. It was actually a picture of Billy the Kid. He sold it not long afterwards for $5 million US. So you see, the value of something is in the the beholder. We also have a lamp. This lamp is used for the searching. We have a woman's house where the lost coin is to be found. And finally, we have the friends who rejoice over this event. Let's examine now the lamp. Lamp contains two items. It has the physical lamp and it has the oil inside with which the lamp generates light. Psalms tells us, in 119 to 105, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God's word is to be used in the seeking of that which is lost.
The other component is the oil. Oil was probably of olives in those days. And what was oil used for? Well, in the Old Testament, we're found in Leviticus 8 and verse 10, that Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. So this oil is used to sanctify. That word sanctify means to be set apart for a holy purpose. Something that is declared holy through sanctification. Something that is set free from sin. We also find in the New Testament this passage that says in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. This is Jesus speaking and we find that Jesus was anointed by God's Spirit. And we know that oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. So when we put the two together, we find this in 1 John 1.5. This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we combined the word of God with the spirit of God, we can generate the light of God of which we are acknowledged to be or admonished to be. These houses in the east of the poor were usually only had one room. They were often windowless. There was just a door for access. They were very dark and they were rarely swept. The wife's marriage portion usually consisted of pieces of money which she carefully preserved as her most cherished possessions notice that very cherished to be transmitted to her own daughters the loss of one of these pieces would be regarded as a serious calamity so you see there is an earnestness when one is one of these coins is lost this parable sets forth the loss of something which with proper searching may be recovered but let's look at this coin This is what Christ Object Lessons, page 194, tells us. The lost coin represents those who are lost in trespass and sins, but who have no sense of their condition. They are estranged from God, but they know it not. Their souls are in peril, but they are unconscious and unconcerned. It's a pretty sad state to be in. In this parable, Christ teaches that even those who are indifferent to the claims of God are the object of his pitying love. What good news that is. They are to be sought for that they might be brought back to God. As the coin bears the image and subscription of a reigning power, so man at his creation bore the image and subscription of God. And though now marred 
and dimmed through the influence of sin, the traces of this imperception remains upon every soul. So the stamp of God is upon us. And he wants to restore it to us. Again, the value of this soul. Christ Object Lessons, page 196. The value of a soul. Who can estimate? Would you know its worth? Go to Gethsemane and there watch with Christ through those hours of anguish when he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood Look upon the Saviour, lifted on the cross. Hear that despairing cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark 15, 34. Look upon the wounded head, the pierced side, the marred feet. Remember that Christ risked all for our redemption. Heaven itself was imperiled. We're going to look at that. That's an amazing statement. At the foot of the cross, remembering that for one sinner... Christ would have laid down his, his life. You may estimate the value of a soul. So do we truly under or truly estimate what a soul is worth? Let's look at this word imperiled. Interesting some of its meanings. Endangered, jeopardised, put at risk, exposed to danger, put in jeopardy, leave vulnerable. Put someone's life on the line. God did all this in order for us to be saved. God desires to recover that soul and to retrace upon it his own image in righteousness and holiness. What a promise that is. But let's add another view to this portion of Scripture. A woman represents a church in the Bible. A coin has great value. Who lost the coin? Go back to our passage in Luke. It says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? So the woman lost the coin. Yes, if the woman represents the church, then is it possible that the church may be responsible for the loss of some coins, either individually or corporately? I believe so. Let's look at the other part of this parable, a house. The house is where the woman lives, or if you like, it's the church. So can we ask today, are there lost coins in our church? And I'd have to say yes. I've met some of them. It's hard to minister to them. They're tough nuts to crack. Let's see about how we go about the recovery. Let's go back to the passage. 
It says, light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. So it's the woman is responsible for the recovery of the coin that is lost. And we are to sweep the house. So what does this mean? Does this mean we need to clean the church? Well, no. People are what comprise God's church. So what are we to do with these people? Well, let's look at this passage in Mark 1, 40 to 42. It applies to all of us. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou will, thou can make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleaned. You see, this little parable, or this story rather, is a picture of all of us. All of us have the leprosy of sin in our lives. All of us are tainted, have this disease called sin. But notice it is only the touch of Christ that is needed in our lives. And sin can be removed immediately. And I think that is just great news. John 5.39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. I believe we need to search the Scriptures more today than ever before. We live in serious times, and we need to bring our lives in accordance with heaven. Is there anyone God can't save if they seek for his forgiveness? I don't believe so. But let's return to Nuremberg. Let's look what happened to these men. Most of these men came to be ministered unto by Henry Gorecki. In fact, there was an instance that happened in May 1946 where Gorecki may have been called home. And so the inmates drafted a letter to his wife. She thought, well, why isn't my husband home? All the other people who've been at war, their husbands are home, mine's not. So they drafted a letter and this is what they asked. During the last months he has shown us, this is talking of Henry Gorecki, uncompromising friendliness and they said we have simply come to love him. All the defendants signed the letter, all these men these hardened criminals, if you like, including Hess and Rosenberg, signed the letter. So what do you think was the reply? Well, she sent it or cabled through this message. Please stay on. They need you. So she was willing that her husband could continue in his ministry to these men. What made the difference? Henry Gorecki was a true light to these men. In the time he spent with them, he ministered to them. He preached to them. He listened to them. He helped them wherever he could. Will any of these men be saved? 
I believe so. These two men showed particular repentance in their lives. They really confessed their faults. The Bible is faithful. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful enough to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I believe these two men did. Others may have as well. But I guess the question is asked, how do we recover these lost coins? I'd like to tell you about one. Years ago, when I was about 18, I lived in the city of Port Macquarie. I got to know a young guy. His name was Tim. He was about the same age as me. We grew up together for a number of years. We're part of the Port Macquarie Youth Group. We had some great times. I guess my fondest memory of Tim was that he would push the laws of physics in his car as we rounded certain corners in some of the windy roads in Port Macquarie. But Tim was a good mate. We spent many a good time together. Tim has kindly consented to me sharing his testimony with you this morning. He says here, and I won't read it all to you, I'll just highlight some of the points. He says, I was brought up a Seventh-day Adventist, third-generation Adventist, and yes, I knew his father and grandparents as well. He was baptised at 14 by none other than John Carter. Okay? But Tim was just a Christian in name only. He learned a lot about the Bible. He learned a lot about Christ, but he didn't learn of Christ. He didn't generate a love for his saviour. So he ended up being a Christian on the outside and not one on the inside. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. Tim came to a point in his life where he was ready to leave the church. He felt a hypocrite. He felt... He wasn't worthy of God's love. How could God love him, this great hypocrite, pretending to be an Adventist all his life and not truly loving God? But things changed. I think it was about six or seven years ago, Tim was asked to do a job for a Christian. Some of you may know this man, Pastor Laurie McMurtry. And Laurie kept telling Tim that God had a plan for his life. One day, Tim was up a ladder in a garage and he looked across and there on the shelves were all these copies of the book Desire of Ages. It says here he felt impressed to take one and he did. He started reading this book but you know, nothing happened straight away. Words just seemed to not stay in his head. So he determined in his life that he would read each paragraph sometimes between five and eight times so he could get it in his head. He really struggled with the fact that how could God love a person like him? And after getting halfway through the book Desire of Ages, he had this overwhelming feeling of God's love for him. So God had transformed my friend Tim. Today Tim is a minister up in the Lismore area. I guess ministering and being a successful minister 
to those he works in up there. We often wonder we don't have the resources to save those. But look at this promise again from Christ Object Lessons. In this work, all the angels of heaven are ready to cooperate. All the resources of heaven are at the command of those who are seeking to save the lost. Angels will help you to reach the most careless and the most hardened. Sometimes I hear people saying, oh, we need money to do outreach. Money is not the problem. Prayer is and lack of it. This promise, prayer moves the arm of omnipotence. Prayer has subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the violence of fires. We rely too little on our communications with God. God wants us to be on our knees more, and especially with those who we know are not walking in accordance with him. Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So let's let God's goodness and grace shine through us. Here again is the final part of this parable in the heavenly sense. And one is brought back to God. All heaven is made glad. Seraphim and cherubs touch their golden harps and sing praises to God and the Lamb for their mercy and loving kindness to the children of men. I wish we could hear that. So, the parable sets forth the loss of something which, with proper searching, may be recovered. My challenge to you today is that we will seek God's help, God's light, the heavenly angels and God's spirit to recover those lost coins. This is my prayer.